This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome this week to Talking Flutes with me, Jean-Paul Wright, and Claire Southworth sat opposite me and we're back in Hove again, answering your lovely, lovely questions. And should we just go straight in this week, Claire? Let's go straight in. Right. We start with a question from a listener who says, can you play a favourite recording of you playing something and tell me why it's your favourite? So firstly... Should we go straight into the recording, but can you tell us what the piece is? Um, yeah, it's Vols Caprice by Daniel S. Wood. Thank you. 
And that was Vos Caprice by Daniel Wood. Claire, tell me why that is, of all the recordings you've done, why that was the, the one you chose. Okay, well, Daniel S. Wood, he was born in 1872, died in 1927. Um, he was principal flute with the London Symphony Orchestra from 1910, and he taught flute at the Royal Academy of Music. So I feel a certain affinity with... Daniel Wood, because I freelanced for about six years with the London Symphony Orchestra and taught for 17 years at the Royal Academy of Music. Sorry, did you say 17 or 70? <laughs> 17. <laughs> and he, there's very little known about him. I first came across him when I was at college because there was a book of technical virtuosity exercises and we just knew it as the Daniel S. Wood technical book. Very, very good, but gets quite tricky. So it was really good for, for working on flexibility and dexterity. And then I came across his Bulls Caprice, which was, he wrote it first in 1909. And it was dedicated to the first major female flutist of London, Edith Penville. Do you know that name? No, I don't. Ah, right. So... She was the first really well-known female flute player. In terms of his career, he studied with de Jong and Barrett, but he had to retire, unfortunately, from playing in 1910 because he had lung problems. Now, very, I said very little known about the Vols Caprice, but it's got, there's a, a sense of fun about it. It's got lovely, long, elegant, melodic lines and intertwined with, I think, as you heard, some very fast technical sections. And... Um, what I've always loved is I always I sort of created a story to go with this piece because I could imagine Wood maybe shifting his time between rehearsing with the LSO and teaching at the Royal Academy and maybe walking in Regent's Park or High Park or one of the parks. And the opening is almost as if he's strolling to work. So he's just meandering through the park. And then he suddenly realises it's a little bit late and that's the, the faster section and then 
he suddenly realises that he's not as late as he thought. So there's a little tranquil moment where he sits down on a bench and has a little sort of look around him and then starts walking again and then thinks, oh no, I really am late and zooms off. So the coder is, is zooming off. And um, it's nice to have a story behind behind pieces, but it's a, as I said, it's a very elegant piece. It's a very heartwarming piece. It's full of fun and lyrical lines. So that's why I chose it. How fascinating. Out of all the, all the pieces you could have chosen, it was that one. If you can hear a rumble, it's the, uh, the builders still at the cricket ground, aren't they? <laughs> I can hear this through my headphones. I can hear this deep rumble that's uh, coming through. Um, but that segues us nicely to a question we received saying, do I need to listen to flute players to improve my flute playing? Yeah, well, this is quite a contentious issue. Really. <laughs> I was, I was used to say, don't listen to a recording of a piece that you're learning, right? Because it can just lead to copying. I'd far rather students learn a piece and, with the input of their own ideas, their own musical thoughts, their own creativity, rather than taking it from someone else. And that is very different from hearing a recording which totally inspires you and creates that excitement about going and playing and going and practicing. And from my, my early days, before I, before I even went to college, I remember buying a, one of the old LPs of Alan Marion, mm -hmm. a fabulous flute player. And on this, on this record was his version of the Martin Ballad. Mm -hmm. Now... For me, that was a piece that was totally out of my skill range. You know, I hadn't been playing very long. And it was, I'm surprised that I, I liked it because it was fairly contemporary. But when I heard him play this piece, it was so exciting. It had an energy and a vitality that I hadn't really heard in other recordings. found out later why is that they just recorded it in one take. And that is like a live performance. There's a different energy when you're not editing all the time and but I just I just fell in love with this this energy of this piece and then I, I'm almost sort of forgot about it because I had other recordings and I went to college and then I started learning the Martin Ballad and I suddenly thought this is the piece this is the piece that inspired me all those years ago and I went back to listen to it and it was still you know full of vitality and energy but it wasn't in, in one sense it wasn't very well played because he wasn't always together with the accompanist but it didn't really matter because you still had this energy um, and I was thinking that if you sort of recorded to the nth degree till it was absolutely perfect you'd probably would have lost that that vibe that was that was going so that's a case in point of me being totally enthusiastic and motivated by a recording I heard but I didn't listen to it again before I actually learnt it myself. Another good example is Debussy Syrinx. Now, that is played so well and so badly by so many people. And if you were to just look at the music and play it accurately, chances are you won't find a recording that matches the accuracy of how you play it. A lot of liberties are taken because it's a solo piece. And people are very liberal with the rhythms. So sometimes you hear 
very sort of romantic. And other times you hear Billy, and all the variations around that. So that is not a good piece to listen to before you learn it. So I would always say, learn pieces away from the recordings, but listen to recordings of players with other pieces. And more importantly, listen to recordings of other instrumentalists, where you get inspired again by a, an energy that's not necessarily flute. The, I'm trying to think of the people I used, used to listen to. Jacqueline Dupre, mm. Askenazi, Janet Baker. There are, I mean, there, are so, there, are, there are so many. That, but you find the top instrumentalists or singers and listen with a really critical ear and say to yourself, okay, what draws me to this? Is it a particular way they phrase? Is it a particular colour? Is it the way they express? Is it the vibrato? Is it the, the, the ease, the excitement, the tempo, the pace? And that's all separate from the actual piece that you're listening to. How are they communicating what the composer has put on the page? So far more important to listen to other instrumentalists to learn about music making, music performing and communicating rather than listening to a flute player play your piece. And, and especially as now we can use YouTube, you might hear someone play something really badly but you don't know it and taking liberties that you don't know about. And, and you'll find your teacher saying, why are you doing that? And it's, it doesn't sound so good when you say, oh, well, I heard Joe Bloggs do that. So don't be influenced by someone you've heard. Create your own musical experience. You'll have your own musical journey. No, I think that's, that's wonderful advice. Do you know, from my own perspective, apart from the obvious people, obvious, obvious flute players, I actually never listen to flute players. I love listening to violinists. I love listening to cellists and singers because, for me, that just gave there was a there was a freedom of expression which I didn't feel I could get by listening to flute players. I agree. And it's not. And I think you said it in the previous podcast. Don't just listen to classical singers. Listen to jazz. Listen to pop. Listen to how they phrase. How they give you that energy, that vibe, as you say. So it's what appeals to you. What moves you? What has struck you from a performance? Whether it's good or bad, because if it's bad, you say, I don't like that because of X, mm. then you're not going to do X. So it's, it's be inspired by music in general, not just by trying to copy one flute player's version of a piece that you're learning. Yeah, because if you're copying it, in, in essence, you are becoming a mini, um, sort of a variation of a mini them, aren't you? Yeah, Which is not really you, yeah, clone. No. And, and, you know, that's... It's, it's so important in the world we live in today with so many players out there that you, you all need your own personal identity. And that's what you need to look for. Fabulous, Claire. So, in essence, do I need to listen to flute players to improve my playing? Yes and no, but be very discerning <laughs> on uh, what you take as being um, the one that you should listen to and learn from. Um, a question to close, and it's... it's I think it's, it all comes up all the time, doesn't it? It is flutist or flautist. We've done this before, haven't we? I live in South Africa and find it strange and kind of odd to hear flute players being called flutists. Yes. Well, I, for many years, called myself a flautist because in, in the UK, that's what we're told we are. But 
certainly for the last 30, 40 years, I've said flutist because I play a flute and so I'm a flutist. So uh, that's, that's what I, uh, I use. It's interesting that flute is the original word and flautist came into use many centuries later. So I've been, I've been looking this up. So flutist was first recorded in the early 17th century and flautist was first used in 1860, making flutist 250 years older. Ah, there you so go. There you go. So, you know, it's entirely up to you, I, I suppose. But it's certainly for me, it seems far more logical to call myself a flutist. Yeah, and I wouldn't argue with that. I call myself a flute player or, or anything, really. <laughs> yeah, it, it, excises, it excises quite a lot of people and passionate people who, uh, certainly with when I called the website The Happy Flutist, there was quite a few emails coming back saying, why flutist? I, don't, I won't go in because it's flutist and not flautist. And it's a shame, really, because it doesn't really matter what you call yourself. You can call yourself a drummer or a, an ice cream eater. It doesn't really matter. You pick up a tube and blow it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's of no importance. No. It's, it's what you feel comfortable with. Yes, so please don't get yourself upset whether we say flutist, flautist, fluterer or ice cream seller. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot this week, Claire. You've been very, uh, very kind to invite me down. The uh, building work's still going on. It's coming through quite loud in my headphones. So I do apologise to you all if, it's, uh, if you can hear this rumble in the background. But what you can't change is building works anywhere in the world. It is there and it rumbles. It's a nuisance. It's an annoyance. But hopefully it hasn't detracted from us talking about all things fluty. Well, I'm sure it hasn't. But if it has, I'm sure our listeners will tell us. <laughs> Thank you once again, Claire. You're very welcome. Bye for now. And uh, take care to you all. Don't forget to send in your questions to flutepodcasts at gmail.com. Wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Take care all. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.